reading is from Hebrews chapter 13, starting at verse 7 to verse 19, and that can be found on page 211 in the Red Church Bible. So that is Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burnt outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be, no, be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be back. Well, it's a great joy for me personally to be here with you, uh, and especially I'm very honored to be asked by Martin and Olwyn to, to share in this day. Where are you, Martin and Olwyn? I've lost you. Oh, there you are. Thank you. Um, and as Martin begins his ministry here, um, I want to bring a word from the Lord for Martin and Olwyn. It's a very simple word. It's there in verse 6. I hope you've got Hebrews 13 still open there. The Lord is my helper. That's all I want to say to you this morning. Um, and a word from the Lord to the church family here in Grosvenor which is in the next verse, verse 7, remember your leaders. But I'll say a little more about that in a moment or two. Um, but let me first pray for us that the Lord would help us as we look together at his word. Father, thank you for reminding us in words earlier that this scripture we have in front of us is completely trustworthy and completely sufficient. Help us to believe that, to listen carefully to you through your word, 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Martin and Alwyn, the Lord is my helper. Church family, remember your leaders and think about that. We're going to consider that in a moment. But of course, we're here at the end of Hebrews, a magnificent letter if you know it at all. Um, and the context is critical. It's not just a, a series of, if you like, ethical commands, instructions, this is how you need to think and live. It is that, but it's in the context of a wonderful letter. Uh, I love the bit at the end um, in verse 22 of 13 where it says, um, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, which I've written, I have written you only a short letter. You should see my long ones. Um, anyway, um, there's quite a long letter in my book um, up to this point, and it's all about the magnificent superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are ever thinking of giving up on him and going back to your old way of life, whether it was religious or secular, think again. Jesus is better than anything. He really is superior, despite appearances. He is absolutely magnificent. Think of anything you've come from. And obviously, in the first case, he's writing, the writer is, is addressing Christians from a Jewish background. So think of the angels that you were told were so important. Jesus is much better than them. He's God himself. Think of Moses, the great liberator who led the people out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus is much better than that. Think of Joshua who led them into the promised land. Jesus is going to take you into the real promised land. Think of the sacrifices. Jesus is the single, once for all, sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Think of the high priest and all his magnificent vestments and everything. Well, Jesus is our great high priest, superior to any priest there's ever been, even in the best religion in the world, which is the Jewish religion. Jesus is the superior, magnificent one. Just keep trusting him. Keep on persevering in your trust in him. And that's that great record of the heroes of the faith, the, the gallery, if you like, that, that you look at around. I was, in, I was staying in the Neil's house last night and uh, in the passageway through from the front door to the kitchen, there's this great gallery of the family, isn't there? Uh, wonderful. Um, and so there's a sense in which Hebrews chapter 11 is this great gallery of the heroes of the faith. Look at them. They persevere to the end. You be like them. You keep going. And Jesus is supreme perseverer to the end, the beginning of chapter 12. And when times are tough, trust him. It's for our good. It's disciplining us so that we may, may be more like the Lord Jesus. And then at the end of chapter 12, just before where we're coming in in chapter 13, there's this sense of when we gather together, the roof is off and we're gathering with the Lord Jesus, the, the mediator of the new covenant, with the church around the throne of God. This is awesome. And so we should think of God that we're, verse 28 of chapter 12, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, with a God like this and with... A saviour like the Lord Jesus, so magnificent. How then should we live? That's where we come in, in chapter 13. And these two words that I'm going to focus on, we're going to focus on this morning from this chapter. First, to Martin and Alwyn. There it is in verse 6 of chapter 13. 
we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now, this is a quote from Psalm 118. If you'd like to keep a finger in Hebrews 13 and turn to Psalm 118, it's in the middle of the Bible, so if you cut your Bible in two, metaphorically, um, you will find it. The Psalms, all 150 of them. This is Psalm 118. So let's just think, why did the writer to the Hebrews pick this psalm to quote from? Well, it's a psalm, if you've got there, which you'll see begins and ends with the same verse or same words. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. But it is a psalm which honestly admits in verse 5, in my anguish I cried to the Lord. Verse 13, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. Verse 5 again, in my anguish I cried to the Lord and he answered me by setting me free. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This is the bit that's quoted in Hebrews 13. Verse 7, the Lord is with me, he is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. Every pastor faces tough times in life and in ministry. Martin, you and Alwyn know this very well. But every pastor can say, as every Christian can say, the Lord is my helper. So the writer to the Hebrews turns to Psalm 118, says, that's what I want to say at this point in the letter. He's addressed various issues at the beginning of the chapter, the, the challenge to keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Maybe you can do it for a few months or years, but then you got a bit tired of it. Um, I mean, life in the church would be so wonderful without the other people, wouldn't it? I mean, um, well, we have to continue loving one another. Well, we need the Lord's help for that. We need the Lord's help to be continually hospitable, especially to strangers, not to people who are going to return the compliment, to remember those who are suffering around the world, not so much maybe in our church family for their faith, to keep marriage pure, applies just as much as, as if we're single. We don't interfere in other people's marriages. We don't go for sexual immorality, though the world around us thinks nothing of it. Just follow your desires. Well, you need the Lord's help if you're going to live a pure life, an honorable life. And then the, always the challenge to be dissatisfied with your financial situation, cost of living crisis, whatever it might be. We're always challenged to be discontented with what we have and to love money. And with all these things, the apostle or whoever's writing this says, no, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I can do these things with his help. Did you notice how Martin said at the end of his answers, with the Lord's enabling? Yes. With the Lord's enabling, we need his help. Now, if you're a Christian, you know how it is that 
when you become a Christian, you don't suddenly cease to be tempted. Uh, in some ways, the temptation may hot up because you've now clearly switched sides and the enemy can spot that and is going to target you. So it might be one of these temptations. It might be love of money. It might be in the sexual area. Or whatever it is. Verse 6. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man, what can humans do to me? So Martin and Alwyn, whatever you face here in the coming months and years, you don't know. Nobody knows. The Lord knows. And whatever it is you face, know this, the Lord. You can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can people do to me? Secondly, and there are only two points this morning, by the way. Um, secondly, remember your leaders. This is a word to the church family here. Remember your leaders, verse 7. Well, that doesn't say very much, you say. <laughs> but read on. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Now, I think in this first instance, compared, say, with verse 17, where it talks about submitting to your leaders, the leaders in verse 7 seem to me those who of whom you can say in verse, at the end of the verse 7, consider the outcome of their way of life. Maybe these are people through whom uh, the readers in the first instance heard the message about Jesus Christ, thought, this is true. I'm going to put my trust in him. And then as time went on, the, those who spoke the word of God to them got older. Um, it was lovely to see friends before church. And as we looked into each other's eyes, we were thinking, though none of us had the uh, temerity to say it, Yes, I do recognize you, John, but my goodness, you look, look a lot older. Uh, well, we do get old. And eventually we die. Um, that's life until the Lord returns. Well, as you look at those who spoke the word of God to you in times past, and you can, the first thing we're told to do is to consider the outcome of their way of life. In other words, think about how they finished. Finishing well is really important. It's at the heart of this, this letter about persevering to the end, enduring, holding on to the promise we have of the world to come. At one point, uh, the writer says, um, I'm talking about the world to come. That's where my focus is in this letter. So who was it? If you're a Christian today, who did you first hear the message of Jesus Christ from? Just think for a moment. Who was it? Oh, for me, and I think probably for many here, it was from my parents. So as a young child, I was privileged to be brought up in a Christian home, and I heard the message of Jesus. I was shown the scriptures to see where it came from. Maybe that's the same with you. Maybe it was through your mum and dad that you first heard the word of God. Now, I know there are side examples of... Christians who don't finish well, Christian leaders who don't finish well, and they're always the ones that hit the headlines. But I think it's fair to say that the great majority of pastors and Christian leaders and Christian parents finish well. And there's story after story of how at the end of their lives, those who spoke the word of God to us, who've gone before, 
how they were trusting Jesus right to the end, how they were longing to see him with their own eyes. That was, in a sense, their last word, maybe. I'm going to see Jesus soon. And as we face the challenge of keeping going to the end, as Christians, we are to consider the outcome of the lives of those who spoke the word of God to us, how they endured faithfully to the end. By the way, there are four things in remembering, so we're, we've done one, we're on to the second. We're making progress. The second is, imitate their faith. Verse, end of verse 7. Don't just consider the outcome of their way of life. Also, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Verse 8. Now, that's an interesting comment, isn't it? Do you think, what's the connection between that and what's just gone before? I mean, some of us may even have this verse 8 up on the wall in our home or on our desk or something. It's a great verse, isn't it? Wonderful verse. What's it doing stuck in here? Did Paul suddenly think, oh, I must give them a verse to stick on their walls? Uh, no. I think it's just so blindingly obvious why he says that here. What has he just said? Imitate their faith. What has he just been saying for 12 chapters about where you should put your faith? Who should you trust in this world? Jesus. What's so special about Jesus? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if there's anyone you can trust, knowing that if you put your trust in them, they're going to be trustworthy, not just for a short while. They haven't just got a track record in the past, but forever they're going to be faithful. Jesus is the one. So the fact that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever is saying, so you trust in him forever as well, just like your leaders did. Imitate their faith in the Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, there are lots of things we could talk about in the verses um, through from verse 8 to 16 that I'd love to stop on, but we don't have time. Let me just give a couple of things. Um, one is that if you follow Jesus and put your trust in him, you will always be an outsider in this world. You will not be an insider. You will be an outsider. But that's okay. Because we follow a Lord Jesus who himself, if you like, was an outsider. He was not accepted. Basically, he was rejected by his own people. Read John chapter 1 if you're not convinced of that. Jesus, verse 12, suffered outside the city gate. He was crucified outside the city. And so if you join him, you go, verse 13, outside the city, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. You will always be mocked at one level if you follow Jesus. He was mocked. He was rejected. The same will happen to you. And so our hope is not in this world, but in verse 14, an enduring city, which we don't have here. Here we do not have an enduring city. Dublin will be gone. We are looking for the city that is to come. Jerusalem the eastern end of the Mediterranean will be gone. We are looking forward to the city that is to come. 
the new Jerusalem. And meantime, what do we speak about? Well, verse 15, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now, I used to think that this was about singing in church. Um, and I'm not saying it's got nothing to do with singing in church. But a sacrifice is something that costs you, isn't it? If someone says to you, oh, that was, that was quite a sacrifice. What they mean is, that cost you. So a sacrifice of praise is praise, in this case of the name of Jesus, the fruit of lips that confess his name, that costs you. Now, where does it cost you to confess the name of Jesus? Probably not here during church gatherings. No one's looking across the room at you thinking, ooh, I saw them singing that enthusiastically. Dodgy. Tomorrow morning, if you're at work or at college or at school, and you speak enthusiastically about the name of Jesus, how was your weekend? Great. What were you doing yesterday? Church. Was it all right? Fantastic. Why? We sang the name, we sang praise to Jesus, and he's the greatest. Oh, my goodness me. Call the people in white coats. You know, that will cost you to confess the name of Jesus. So, can you trust him if you confess his name, if you praise him in that context? Imitate their faith. You can trust him to the end. So, as you remember your leaders, in other words, and by the way, this is not remembering in the sense of, oh, I just remembered. I forgot to put the oven on. So the chicken's not going to be ready for lunch. No, it's not that kind of remembering. I hope you didn't remember that, by the way. Um, it's the kind of remembering if you're, maybe your brother or sister says, have you remembered mum's birthday? You say, yeah, I remember. Did you send her a card? No. Well, you didn't remember it, did you then? No, I did. I remembered it. I had a little thought in my head, oh, it's mum's birthday. But you did nothing about it. So most people say you did not remember your mother's birthday. Now, this kind of remembering in the scriptures is that kind of remembering where it's not just a matter of thinking, yeah, I had a little sort of mental flicker of, hmm, yeah, it's my mother's birthday. Um, but I better do something about this. And so remembering your leaders is considering your leaders and thinking, I need to do something about this. I need to consider the outcome of their way of life. I need to imitate their faith. Thirdly, verse 17, and these, I think, clearly are present leaders in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Yes, you heard that right. Now, when did you last hear a message from the front about this? This is something that pastors are really nervous about preaching because it feels like a power play. It's so countercultural that we can very easily kill it with a thousand qualifications. But it's not a power play. It's not about trying to control people. It's about how God has ordered authority in the church. God has supreme authority. Agreed? Surely we have to agree on that one, whatever we say about the capital of Ireland. Um, 
our elders have authority in the church. Agreed or not? Well, Scripture says yes. But please notice, the NIV does not do us a service here because there's a, there's a connecting word um, which they don't translate for some reason. Um, obey your leader. I'll, I'll re read it as is, if you like, a more literal translation. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority for, because... They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. To whom? God, obviously. So it's not because they enjoy the exercise of power. No. They feel the weight of responsibility. And more than feeling that weight, and it is a weight, you've got a responsible job. You'll feel the weight of the responsibility of your job. If you're a parent, you'll feel the weight of the responsibility of parenthood. But this is an accountability issue. They have to give an account. So I, as someone who some of you will know was pastor here for 19 years, I have to give an account of that to God one day. I find that very sobering. All pastors have to give an account. All church leaders and elders have to give an account. With authority comes accountability. And what are they going to give an account for? Well, verse 17, they are people who keep watch over you. Not to try and catch you out, but caring for you. So, your leaders in church, Martin, Ed, the elders... They are people who care about you, my brothers and sisters. They really do. And we must presume this about our leaders when often in our culture the opposite is assumed. We assume that someone's gone into leadership because they're interested in self-promotion or the exercise of power, possibly uh, glory, perhaps money, though I think not so much in this country or Western democracies, but... And leaders, if you're a leader in this church, never forget that leadership is responsibility to care for the flock in a culture where leadership is so often about self and not about serving others and caring for them. It's very sobering. And if you're a church member here, or wherever you're a church member, have a look at verse 17b. Obey your leaders so that their work will be a joy not a burden. Don't make life difficult for them. It's going to make life pretty tough for them, if not miserable, in leadership. And it's no use to you. It's not going to help you. It really isn't. It's just going to be of no advantage to you. Do you see that phrase at the end of the verse? To be a difficult, awkward church member who's always criticizing, who doesn't always attend unless they feel like it, who pursues what this world offers in terms of money and pleasure, rather than serving in the church family. These are people who can make life for leaders a burden, not a joy. Don't be one of those. Make life for your leaders a joy, my brothers and sisters. And lastly, briefly, verse 18, pray. Pray for them. He says, pray for us. And I think he means he's just been talking about leaders in verse 17. So I think 
the probability is he means pray for us leaders. We're sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. That is the desire of the church leader, to keep a clear conscience, to live a blameless life, not perfection, not sinless perfection, but beyond reproach, and to live honorably in every way. So pray for them that they would maintain that position with a good conscience, that they would be resisting the temptation in the kind of areas in verses 1 to, th one to 5. And that the qualities of an elder, which were read out earlier by Richard from places like Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, that they would be increasingly manifest in our leaders, that the fruit of the Spirit would be growing in their lives, as in your life if you're a Christian. So two words this morning. One, to Martin and Alwyn, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can people do to me? That's the word for you, my dear brother and sister, today. And members of Groveness, remember your leaders in this sense, not just, oh yes, I know who they are, but you're going to do something about it. You're going to imitate the lives of those who've gone before. You're going to imitate the faith of those who went before, trusting in the unchanging Lord Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. As you look at your current leaders, you're going to submit to their authority. It's not that you can never ask questions, but your fundamental attitude is God has put them over us. We will yield to that. And lastly, pray for them. And why is this all so important? Because we have a magnificent Lord, Jesus Christ, God's Son, who will one day return in power and in glory. So let us be thankful and worship him acceptably with reverence and awe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in these last days our great God and Father of our Lord Jesus has spoken to us through you, his Son. That you are the one who is appointed heir of all things. You are the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by your powerful word. We thank you that when you came to this earth, you provided purification for our sins and that you are now sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And we want to worship you afresh. Thank you for bringing Martin and Alwyn to us in Grosvenor. Help them to know your help, Lord Jesus, not to be afraid. And for those of us who are members here in Grosvenor and in other churches, Lord, please give us the right attitude to our leaders so that their work will be a joy and not a burden and that we would be 
acting in a way that is an advantage to them and to us. Help us to trust the Lord Jesus to the very end, for his name's sake. Amen.